One of the most irrational thoughts that we sometimes might entertain is the thought that maybe God doesn't love us. I've had people question to me whether or not God loves them. They've had certain events happen to them in life, and, and so they respond, you know, where, where's God? If He loved me, why would this or that happen to me? But of course God loves us. And the cross of Christ is the evidence that stands throughout the ages. It transcends time, and it is a declaration from many years ago that answers the question, does God love you? Of course He does. Just look to the cross. In John chapter 1, if you have your Bible, that passage was just read, I want you to see something, and I want to emphasize something in verse 16. Of course, we know that in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. That has reference to Jesus. And He became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. But I want you to see what He says. Not only did Jesus leave heaven and come to earth, take on flesh and live among us and eventually die for us, But I want you to see something about that act of grace in sending Jesus to this earth, what the Bible says in verse 16. It says, and of his fullness we have received, and grace, some translations say for grace or grace upon grace. It's accumulated grace. The giving of Jesus was not just an act of graciousness on the part of God. It is considered by John grace upon grace. It's like piling it up, grace. Paul said in Romans uh, chapter 6, chapter 5 and chapter 6, that where sin abounds, grace abounds even more. So the idea that God is gracious to us, it can't be denied. He loves us. He sent His Son for us. He, uh, the cross of Jesus stands through the ages as a testimony of His graciousness to us. And He wasn't stingy with it. He didn't dole it out in small portions. But He just, grace upon grace is what He gave us. But I want us to try to get our arms a little bit better around the concept of the grace and the love of God. The Bible says that the love of God is incomprehensible. And, you know, we can, we can try to understand it, try to imagine it, try to get our arms around it, but there's a part of it that we just we cannot grasp. And Paul wrote saying, I hope that we can try to better understand the incomprehensible love of Christ. How can we understand that which is incomprehensible? Well, I don't know that we can fully, but I'd like to learn more about it. And that's what I want us to do tonight. I want us to look at some things unto which we might liken the grace of God. The use of illustration by Jesus, in Jesus' day they were called parables. Parables were valuable. It was a valuable, they were a valuable teaching tool for Jesus. By illustrating certain things, people could grasp it, could understand it, and come to uh, spiritual enlightenment because of 
the illustration that was given. And I want us to try tonight to liken the grace of God unto some things that might help me to better understand that which is incomprehensible. And if you were to consider the sacrifice of Jesus, the, the peak of Everest, these other illustrations that we have don't get us to that point, but they do get us a ways up the mountain in a way that maybe we can better understand. So I ask the question, what is so amazing about God's grace? We sing a song, just sang a song, Amazing Grace. Well, what is it that's so amazing about it? Well, three things I'd like to offer for you tonight. First of all, what is so amazing about God's grace is that it is a self-sacrifice. About 150 years ago, in Tsarist Russia, there was a Russian nobleman who was returning home from a rather lengthy journey. He and his servant of many years were on the back of a sled that was being pulled by, uh, you know, a, a, a team of dogs. And as they're getting closer to home, they're thinking about getting out of the wind and the weather and, and finally arriving back at home. And then the, the nobleman looked around, scanned the horizon behind him, and he saw something that just made his blood grow cold. He saw a speck on the horizon, but he knew what that speck was. It was a pack of wolves. And they were still more than 10 miles from home, and there's no shelter. They're out in barren land. And so he yelled the equivalent of the Russian mush, and off those dogs run, he gave them the rain, and off they run, trying to beat those wolves back to safety. But as the miles tick down, it becomes apparent that they're not going to make it. That pack of wolves is going to catch up to them before they ever get home, and there's nothing they can do to defend themselves. And just before those wolves encompass that sled... The servant of that nobleman just steps off the back of the sled. And of course, all the wolves converge on that servant and take his life, but the master escapes. You know, the first time I heard that story, I thought, now that's grace. And it is. But the grace of God is better than that. Because in this story, it is the servant who sacrifices his life for his master. And in the story of Jesus, it's exactly the opposite. It's the master who gives his life for the servant. That's hard to comprehend. The blood of Jesus, the sacrifice that Jesus made, was a sacrifice. It was a self-sacrifice. In John chapter 10 and verse 18, the Bible says, Jesus said, listen, I, I'm laying my life down. No man can take it from me. If I didn't want to die, nobody can take my life. I, I'm laying it down. It, it was a sacrifice. He was, in essence, stepping off the back of the sled so that we could find freedom. The Bible tells us in Matthew chapter 20 and verse 28 that when Jesus came, he said, I came into this world not to be served, but to serve and to give my life a ransom. He came with the intent, with the purpose of giving his life so that other people can live. 
that's part of what makes the grace of God so amazing, is that it was a self-sacrifice. And more than the, the servant giving his life for his master, this is the master who gives his life for the servant. The, the grace of God is also an offer of forgiveness. The Bible tells us in, well, Romans chapter 4, verses 7 through 8, that the man whose sins are forgiven and whose sins are covered is a blessed man. He said, blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. If I can have my sins forgiven and my sins covered, I am a blessed man. The Bible also tells us in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 7 that when Jesus died on the cross, it's in Him that we have forgiveness, even the, the remission of sins. So there's the death of Christ was an offer of forgiveness. I don't know if many of you remember this or not, but you certainly well may. But in 1956... There was a man by the name of James Elliott. He was a college student. And he decided that he was going to, along with some other guys, go to Ecuador to do mission work among the Ayuka Indians of Ecuador. This was a very primitive tribe that had very little outside contact with the world. And so he and eight other men got together and they went to Ecuador to minister to these people, at least to what they thought the gospel was. These men weren't New Testament Christians, but they were trying to take what they believed to be the truth to these people who need the truth. At first, they delivered supplies by having a plane fly in a tight circle when they lowered it by a rope and dropped these supplies off. And they would come and get the supplies and go back to their huts. And they did that for several days. And finally they landed and nobody would come out of the, the bush. Finally the women came out first and greeted them. And they were introduced into that village for about two weeks. And suddenly for reasons that I don't know that we still know today, the men of that village got up one day and they all got their spears and they stabbed, speared every one of those college men who had gone there to try to take a message about Jesus to them. The Life, Life magazine, the January 30th issue of 1956, has the picture, the cover picture is of United States Marines carrying body bags across a river. And that was, the, those were the bodies of those men who had gone down there. It was, un, there was, they hadn't done anything to these people, and yet they were still murdered. Jim Elliott's father lived in Chicago he was 6'4", 250 pounds, and when his son, or when word got back that his son was murdered by this tribe of Indians, he said, I want to go down there. And so he did. He got a plane. He went as far as he could by vehicle. He had guides take him so far, and, 
and there was uh, several other men with him, and they went on into that village. And he was introduced to this particular man who ran his son through with a spear and took his life. And this big man went up to that little man, grabbed him by the shoulders, and looked him in the eyes and said, I forgive you. When I heard that story, I said, now that's grace. But it's not the grace of God. Oh, it's getting me up the mountain. I'm, I'm seeing a better picture of what grace is about. But it's more than that. Because, you see, what this man did and what he experienced, he was forgiving people that were unenlightened, uneducated. They didn't know what they were doing. Jesus gave His life, and God offers forgiveness to people who knew what they were doing. They knew they were crucifying the Son of God. They, they rebelled against Him. They closed their eyes and their hearts and their ears to the message that He brought. And they were His enemies, not just unenlightened, uneducated people. That makes it even more hard to comprehend. A self-sacrifice and forgiveness are one thing. But to give your life for people who are your enemies, that's quite another. But that's the grace of God. And then the grace of God might be likened to a sacrifice of a son. The Bible tells us, John 3 and verse 16, For God so loved the world, that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 21, He, that is God, made Him, Jesus, who knew no sin to become sin for us, that we might attain to the righteousness of God. God gave His only begotten Son. In 1937... There was a man by the name of John Griffith. I've heard this story for years. And about 15 years ago, I decided to, to look and to see if I could validate and verify the truthfulness of this story. And it is a story that is true. But John Griffith was a man who lived out west during the, the Dust Bowl. And he lost everything. His crops were gone. He decided he had to move east to get away from that. And he got as far as the Mississippi River. And he found himself a job on one of the drawbridges on the Mississippi River. His son, he had a son. He was eight years old. His name was Greg. And he took that son to work with him one day. They were having lunch. The drawbridge was up at the time, and they were eating their lunch. And he heard the sound of a whistle. It was a train bridge that the train would cross. And it took him by surprise. He realized the bridge is up and the train is coming. I've lost track of time. And so he told his son to stay right there on this catwalk. And he ran on this catwalk back to the control room. And he did as he always did. He looked up the river to see if there's any traffic coming. He looked down the river. And then he looked below the bridge and what he saw was something that I suppose would burn in his mind for the rest of his life. His son had tried to follow him and had fallen off the catwalk 
had obviously, from the way he had fallen, broken his leg. And he was wedged in the gears of that bridge. He thought, I can go down there, lower myself on a rope, get him, get back to the... But then that thought was just dismissed as quickly as he thought of it because there's just no time. He had to make a decision. He can save his son and kill several hundred people on this passenger train, or he can lower the bridge sacrificing his son to save all those people. That boy was the apple of his eye. But he went ahead and pushed that lever forward and lowered the bridge, and that train passed successfully by with all those people totally oblivious to the great sacrifice that had been made on their behalf, and they had no idea. He said, I looked in the windows as they passed by, and there were people who were laughing, there were people who were conversing, there were people who were having uh, lunch, totally oblivious to the sacrifice that had just been made for them. When I heard that story, I said, now that's grace. But again, it's not the grace of God. Because the grace of God even transcends that. If you have your Bible, open it to Romans chapter 5. And I want you to just again see how the grace of God falls into that realm where Paul says it is just incomprehensible. The Bible says in verse 6 beginning, For when we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. And look at how he... We're without strength. We've already blown it. We, we can't do anything to save ourselves. We are hopeless. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners. Christ, I can see someone giving their life for a good person or laying down their life for a righteous man, but I can't see somebody giving their life for sinners for enemies, that's what Jesus did. But God demonstrated His own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having been justified by His blood, we shall be saved by the, or from wrath through Him. For if we were enemies, for if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through His death of His Son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. Jesus, the grace of God, to what shall we liken it? Well, I can come up with a lot of stories. I can see instances of grace that demonstrate a self-sacrifice, that demonstrate an offer of forgiveness, and that demonstrate even the sacrifice of the Son. But I haven't seen one yet that compares to the sacrifice of Christ. Because Jesus didn't just die. It wasn't... He was the Master who died for the servant. And it was an offer of forgiveness, not just to people who were unenlightened and didn't know better. It was a sacrifice that was made for people who deliberately were His enemies. That's the grace of God. But now as we go on from that, let me just remind you that 
There are people, and I don't want to be in the number, and I don't want you to be in the number, who are angry with the grace of God. John tells us, it is grace upon grace. But I don't want to find myself in the camp of those who get stingy with God's grace. Listen, the Bible tells us of a man in the Old Testament by the name of Jonah. Jonah chapter 4 and verse 2 tells us that Jonah did not appreciate the grace of God. He said, I, the reason I ran in the first place, the reason I didn't want to go to Nineveh and preach to them is because I knew that if I preached and they repented, you'd forgive them, and I didn't want them to have forgiveness. Jonah, in his own wisdom, apparently felt they deserved punishment. They didn't deserve to live. He didn't want to be a part of anything that would spare their life. You know, the book of Jonah is not about a great whale, a great fish. Sometimes we get so preoccupied with the fish, we miss the real story of Jonah, which is about a great God. A God who looks at a sinful people and who still loves them and wants them to be saved. Jonah was angry with the grace of God, and that didn't set well with God. I don't know if Jonah ever changed his mind. The Bible doesn't tell us, but it leaves us looking at Jonah in a bad light as that book comes to an end. And then I can turn in the Bible to Matthew chapter 20, and I can read verses 1 through 16 of a parable that Jesus told where he likened the kingdom of God unto a man who would take a job, and and, uh, there were some men who were idle in the marketplace, and um, a man came to him and said, Listen, do you have anything to do today? No, I'm just here hanging out. And so the, the master said, Well, here, I'll hire you. How about this? For a penny today... You work all day, and I'll pay you for that. And, you know, penny doesn't sound like much to us, but apparently it was a good deal. It was fair because he said, you've got yourself a deal. So the man went to work. And then he went about noon, and he went back out to the marketplace, found some more men who were there, and um, he said, how about it? Will you work for a penny for the rest of the day? Sure. They got the same wage. And at 5 o'clock... An hour before shutting down time, he goes out and he hires some more men. He says, will you work this final hour for a penny? And they said, yes. And when it came time to pay, those men who had agreed to work all day long for a penny, they were mad. They felt cheated. What were they mad about? They hadn't been wronged. God kept, or the Master kept, His agreement with them and did exactly what they had agreed to. They had not been wronged in any way. What they were upset about is the graciousness of the Master. Because He intended, or because He was gracious to the man who came along in the tenth hour, or the eleventh hour, they got all upset about that. I once had a lady in a Bible class, we were talking about how the people, certain events can spur them to do right. Listen, when you face death face-to-face and you look at death you know, square in the eyes, it tends to prioritize things in your life. And oftentimes when people hear bad news about their health, it will wake them up. Now, I'm not one to judge. Are they just doing that to think they're going to trick God and get into heaven? Or did they really have a... You know, a, a 
a desire to get their life right. Well, I'm going to assume the best. And there was a man in the congregation there who had, well, spent most of his life doing his own thing, learned he had cancer, he obeys the gospel, two months later he died. And there was a woman in that Bible class who even called his name and said, I don't think that's fair that he can just come right before he dies and go to heaven. I don't think that's fair. He didn't earn it. He didn't deserve it. And that's what she said. He doesn't deserve to go to heaven. And I told her, you're exactly right. He doesn't. But neither do you. And neither do I. None of us deserve it. That's the grace of God. In spite of ourselves, He offers us salvation. And I don't want to find myself angry with God's graciousness. A few years ago, a man by the name of Jeffrey Dahmer, I'm sure you remember him, had murdered and cannibalized a bunch of folks and just terrible, terrible things. He was put in prison, heard the gospel, obeyed the gospel in prison, and was eventually murdered in prison. But the thoughts by some that he could be saved are disturbing. I don't like that. After what he did, I don't think he should get to go to heaven. Well, what makes his sins any worse than yours? Um, I, I know there are things that we deem more heinous than others, but God is grieved by all sin. And all sin brings death. I remember in Luke chapter 15, a man who had a prodigal son who went away, and when he came back home, the father went to greet him and ran to meet him and fell on his neck and kissed him and clothed him and put the ring back on his finger. And his elder brother was at home pouting because this brother had come home and the father was rejoicing. Let's not find ourselves in a situation where we resent the grace of God. God's grace is great. It is grace upon grace. And if God desires to be gracious to people, we shouldn't have a problem with that. Because that same grace is given freely to us. And we are the beneficiaries of it. How is God's grace dispensed? Am I saying that all you have to do is just, you know, God will take care of you. He won't let anybody perish. He's just going to... Because He's so loving. No, that's not what I'm saying at all. The grace of God is given unconditionally. Titus 2, verses 10 and 11, says the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. Everyone. Teaching us that denying uh, ourselves, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Denying ungodliness. The grace of God is given unconditionally, but it is received conditionally. You see, in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 1, the Bible, Paul worried about some who might receive the grace of God in vain. So God says, listen, I want you to be saved, and I'm going to do this. I'm going to send my son. He's going to die for you. He's going to die for everybody. It's for you all. It's given to everyone unconditionally. You didn't deserve it. You didn't do anything for it. But He gave it anyway. 
It's given unconditionally, but it is received conditionally. I have to obey. I have to meet the terms of this grace. I have to deny ungodliness and worldly lusts and live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Salvation is a gift that has conditions. It's not a gift of no... At Christmas time, you wrap up a present, you have something really great in it, and you put it under the tree, and that gift is a gift. It's undeserved, but it's a gift. But even still, the the recipient of that gift has to take that ribbon off and that paper off and open the box and cut the tape and pull it out and maybe even put it together. There's still things that they have to do to receive that gift. And that's the way our salvation works. It's not all on God's part, and it's not all on our part. We have to cooperate with God. God has been gracious more than I can comprehend. He's been gracious to a people who, not ignorantly, but who rebelliously have turned from His ways And he still loves us. And he still offers his salvation to us. And for those of us who respond and meet the terms of his pardon, we experience and receive that grace. There may be someone here tonight who hasn't done that. Maybe you've not received the grace of God. Maybe you're asking the question, does God really love me? Folks, yes, he does. That was settled 2,000 years ago at the cross when he gave his son. Whether or not you love him, now that's the real issue. The Bible says in John 14 and verse 15 that if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Does God love you? Yes, without question. Do you love him? Well, that's determined on whether you obey him or not. If you're here tonight and you've never obeyed Jesus when he said, repent, or Peter, repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. If you don't obey that, then you can't truly say you love God. If you want to express your love to him, then you obey him. And if you obey him, you become a recipient of that grace that is beyond comprehension. If you're a child of God already but unfaithful and you need to make your life right, maybe you haven't thought about just how good God has been to you. Let that sink in. Let understand what God has done for you. He hasn't been stingy. It's been grace upon grace. If you need to respond to the invitation for the prayers of your brethren to be more faithful, then we'll pray with you if you'll come as we stand together and sing.